0: this is raw cut welcome to life bursts i'm matt
1: and i'm sarah and today we're chatting with matt's dad but matt's dad is more than just matt's dad his name is peter Yes, welcome to Life Bouts with Matt and Sarah. And today we're chatting with your dad. Yeah. I'm excited about this, but the whole, co- whole interview is not just going to be about you, Matt, because people <laughs> could just go back and watch episode number one oh. or the other one of, of Matt sharing your story. Yeah, well, but... I'm
0: looking
2: forward to hearing a few stories. So, yeah. uh,
1: Thank yeah. you, Peter, for coming in on today's show. Pleasure. Tell us, where did life start out for you?
2: Well, if you don't mind, I won't answer that straight away. I just want to say up front Mm. that um, it's been a great experience just researching this because I don't think we go back and look at our lives often enough. Mm. And I reckon I've had a great life, but that's my biased opinion. But to answer your question, it obviously started with my mum and dad. And um, my mum was a South Australian girl and she grew up with her dad as a Methodist minister and they travelled around the countryside. And at some stage, my grandfather moved to Broken Hill as a minister and mum followed because she'd finished school. She started nursing there, so um, she was a young uh, woman at the stage, but my dad was a New South Wales teacher and he'd just moved to um, from Coonabarabin to Broken Hill and they went to church, obviously, so that's one big benefit of a church, they actually found each other there and obviously things developed and before you know it, they were engaged and then married and um, my older brother David was uh, born in Broken Hill and then 18 months later I was born in 1960, April 1960, and uh, so the first year of my life was in Broken Hill. And surprisingly, I can't remember much about Broken Hill before the age of one. But then we moved, uh, Dad moved to Musselbrook, uh, teaching there in the high school. And we obviously moved as a family. And my, then my younger sister, Jenny, was born in uh, Musselbrook. And just generally, I'm talking about the uh, preschool and primary school ages which were in Musselbrook, but i just describe them as a fantastic experience. Um, look, a really good childhood, and it's quite different from today. I think there was just more trust in the place, and uh, parental supervision wasn't as strict. But that meant we could sort of go out and play. And we were lucky in our house. We were in a housing trust area, mm. which I didn't know at the time because I didn't think about it. But we were in a little two-bedroom house, three kids in two bedrooms. How does that work? But we had a petition between Jenny and two brothers. Mm-hmm. But uh, our back yard went over a fence and into what we call the back paddock. Mm. And there were horses and cows out there from time to time, but just long grass, a creek, a big hill, and uh, just an area for kids to play after school. And there would have been a dozen or so kids that would come and play and all our mates, of course, and Dad actually made a big section out the back of our place so that the lawn was a bit lower and we could play cricket and just ball games there. But my experience generally of Muscle was just a wonderful time and, um, you know, as kids do, we play and uh, you fight with your brother and sister and so forth like that, but it was just just great. So um, I think we've
0: got some photos uh, for our, uh, those who are watching of your, your family in those early stages. Yeah,
2: I think one's of Dad and three kids and one of Mum and three kids, but... Uh, yeah, my experience there, look, obviously um, things might have been happening fairly, but being so young, you just think everything's great. And we had neighbours next door, um, uh, the Moody's I'd go and play with, and um, others down the street. And like I said, there were horses and so forth. What I do remember is we had a tricycle and um, we'd come down this huge hill at the front of the house and get such great speed and sometimes crash. And um, funny enough, I've been back in recent years and that big hill at the front was about a metre high. <laughs> so it's mating the way things sort of appear yeah, in your head, yeah. so it's just quite different. But uh, there are a few funny stories in Musselbrook. We were, we were part of a church family, and that was important to mum and dad to sort of go to church, and uh, they believed in God, and they would take us along as kids. And I really enjoyed that too, early Sunday school and so forth. Mm-hmm. But in Musselbrook, we had about six families with kids, some of them our age, my brother and my age, and others with kids who are older, but we'd all go on picnics together and have a lot of fun. But one big story which I made a, um, a kid's talk out of was when we'd go and see the Collards, one of the families, and he was a dairy farmer out of um, Musselbrook. Mm-hmm. And um, I just loved going to see the dairy, and it was the old clunking sort of wheels and, you know, the um, suction on the teats, and they'd take the milk, and you'd see it go along the, there. And in, when we first went there, they were in barrels, right. and they put the lids on it. Then the truck would come later, and they'd put the barrels on there and take it to the milk factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, it became a vat, big vat. But... Um, what I remember is that we loved as kids. you could go and see little potty calves and you put your fingers in their mouth and they'd suck away and you'd have just a great time there. And there was even a time when, um, yeah, even a time when uh, I wanted to go there, but Dad said, no, I'm going with Mr. Collar Day, you can't go. So I had to stay back at the uh, farmhouse. And I was really upset about that, but I did as I was told because I was a good boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they went off and they were milking for quite a long time. I thought they must be back soon. Anyway, as happens in your mind, but I thought... Well, maybe Dad said, don't go into the dairy, but what if I just go near the dairy and have a look? Mm-hmm. So I just, I kidded myself. I thought, that, that'll be okay. And so I walked away and got closer and closer to the dairy. And um, yeah, I thought, well, look, if he sees me, I know he said, no to come, so he might be cross. So I'll just look through the side, a little hole in the side of the, the dairy. And so that's what I did. And as I got closer, I could hear this swooshing sound, as well as the clunk of the um, machines. And I looked down to have a look through and see if it seems to Collard and Dad and the cows. And then this great spray of water came through and splashed all over me. And what had actually happened is, if you know a dairy, but at the end of, while the cows are milking, they lift their tail quite often and do what they do. <laughs> and at the end of the dairy time, Mr. Collin would get a big hose and swoosh around oh, yeah. all the cow poo and everything like that. And then he'd get a big broom and sweep down and where would he sweep it? Towards this little hole in the side. Go back weird. to me and I'm on the outside. <laughs> and so I looked through just as he took the last swoosh and all this cow poo water came through and drenched me. So what's a young boy to do? <laughs> you suddenly realise you've done the wrong thing. So um, yes. as I did, I went and hid. And I thought, but I've got to do something. In the end, I sort of tried to wash myself off. But something about cow poo doesn't disappear. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't disappear, does it? Yeah. So I end up going back to the house and I thought I'd be told off totally. But actually, Dad laughed, which was good of him. But um, <laughs> he did tell me the story about, you know, listening to your father and so forth. So I made that into a little parable about, you know, we often sort of kid God. God says, don't do this. We go and do it anyway. We think we know best. So that was my little story, but that's a true story. I've just embellished it a bit, but uh, <laughs> some sort of the good times there.
1: You obviously got the poop off you eventually.
2: Well, he washed me clean, which is another sort of parable, sort of story. <laughs> he c- can cleanse us from all our dirt uh, and muck. Did so you like
1: stand outside and he just sprayed you? Actually, yes, did with
2: a hose. <laughs> and the collards later said to me, they felt sorry for me because it was a winter's day or something, and he just hosed me down. But anyway, it was it was my um, punishment, I suppose, for doing the wrong thing. <laughs> another story I do remember. <laughs> Like I keep saying I was a good kid, and I was, but amazing how you get into these things. With with my little neighbour, Tony Moody, we went out and we found some nails and we put them on the road out the front. Oh, I don't know what we were thinking. I
1: don't know either. <laughs> just to
2: see what would happen. But then this is even sillier. So that the drivers wouldn't see the nails, we covered it up with grass, but that just made it obvious. And so the first driver came along stopped and got out and had a look what was going on. <laughs> and then obviously went and told of it, Tony's dad or, or my dad, I can't remember which, and we both got into trouble. But that's... <laughs> That's a bad story, isn't it? But even worse is that Tony Moody's dad was the local Goodyear Burry Pairs man, <laughs> and I reckon the story went around town, so um, it's just one of those <laughs> sort of situations that's uh, not so good. Wow. Yeah,
1: be careful because he wants to make more money from you getting things yeah, in exactly. the Tyre. So, uh,
2: yeah, exactly. Anyway, we got into trouble, for sure. So yep. so there, so, so country life and, and a bit of mischief as a, as a youngster. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I just look back and say I couldn't have had a better childhood. There was sort of freedom there. I don't know about parental supervision. I don't remember <laughs> mum even looking over the back fence to see if we were all right, but we, she just sort of knew we would. I suppose one of the kids would have come and told a parent if someone had been bitten by a snake or fallen in the creek or anything like that, but it just didn't happen. We were, we were just having a good time. So
1: so at school, were you like the kid that put tacks on the teacher's table and no. did those sorts of things?
2: Okay. I do remember it's primary, early primary school, but I did mm. get into trouble because um, they had a big uh, quadrangle there. We all played sort of at recess and then... Mm -hmm. Mr. O'Hearn, I remember he was a senior teacher, he'd he'd say, they'd ring a bell and go ding, and then he'd say, fall in, and a bellow. Anyway, it was just a routine, and he would rang the bell and said, and I yelled before him, I said, fall in, I was meant to do it at the same time as him, but he was a bit late. (laughs) And so he heard me, and thought that was being rude, which I guess it was, (laughs) and said, you, up here, and I was in detention for uh, the rest of the lesson. So. yeah, I keep saying I was a good boy, but <laughs> you, you can get yourself into trouble if you're not it's careful. A bit of
1: mischief there, Peter.
2: The stories the, come out. Yeah, stories come out. Other than that, just a good time with my brother and sister. Um, yeah, and as I said, lots of kids in the neighbourhood, so just just had that feeling like um, that you're loved and things were good. And uh, that's to do with my mum and dad, of course. They were loving parents, and uh, I still remember to this day that feeling of mum, especially coming and tuck us in bed, and she'd say a prayer with us, and. Um, I still sort of find that now, like even as an adult and uh, married and so forth, but I still have that time at night when I go to bed and sort of talk to God and it's just a good time. Yeah, it just makes things feel right. So.
1: What about Christmas and those and birthdays? What did they look like?
2: Well, they were fantastic. But um, as I said, mum came from South Australia. Her family went back from Broken Hill to Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather was a minister in uh, sub- suburban Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So every Christmas, so that we could catch up with the family and cousins, we would head back over to Adelaide along the Hay Plains. Mm-hmm. I still remember that Hay bell Rundle Plains back then. It was so dry and hot. Um, a yeah. lot more water there now. But, um, yeah, we'd drive across and then have Christmas um, and New Year and then go down to Victor Harbour and stay there in the Caribbean Park and go to Port Elliot and swim. So it was a regular routine mm-hmm. and it was a good time. I do remember coming across and we'd go shopping before Christmas. We'd go into Rundle Mall. We'd go up Cox Foy's, which was um, not there now. We'd go up to the top floor and there's some... Um, ferris wheel and other games there and then we go down one more step and there's a cafeteria Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: we'd get a pie and chips the same thing every time we went there and a drink and thought we were fantastic so yeah these are memories but Mm -hmm. they're simple memories but just that that whole time was just carefree and not a care in the world so good good traditions yeah yeah well when we come back we're going to hear more of
0: uh, peter my dad's story so uh, looking forward to that this is lifeburst with matt and sarah
3: If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media.
1: Welcome back to Life First here with Matt and Sarah, and today we're chatting with Peter, who just also happens to be Matt's dad, and this is definitely an interview to go check out online so on our YouTube or Facebook or community television when it's shown because there are a few pictures and things as well along the way with this journey so we're up to school age for mm. you Peter you've talked about you've been a good boy <laughs>
2: <laughs> I keep saying that
1: I know you keep saying that someone will believe
2: it <laughs> yeah
1: so yeah take us from there
2: yeah so that was the primary school years at Musselbrook in the Hunter Valley near, mm-hmm. near Newcastle And then Dad got a transfer with uh, school and he went to a Wellington High School in the central west of New South Wales, out near Dubbo, if most people know Dubbo. Mm. But it's a lovely area there, quite hot in um, summer and cool in winter. But yeah, lovely area. And it's on the, um, Wellington's on the junction of two rivers, the Bell and Macquarie, and they're quite major rivers. And so there's lots of water and so lots of um, water they could put, the council could put on sporting parks. And i just say that because really when I thought about this part of my life, if you have a focus, sport was my focus. I know I don't look like a great sportsman, but I was involved in most sports that were in town. And so there was rugby union on Saturdays. There was rugby league for school. There was athletics uh, through the season. That was a Friday night. We'd play that all the time. And of course, you'd represent athletics school and stuff like that. Um, There was also cricket through the uh, cricket season and even a bit of tennis there. So there was lots to do in, in if you like sport and you like Mm -hmm. getting out and about. And um, as well as that, And I mentioned in uh, Musselbrook, Mum and Dad went to church. That continued in Wellington. Mm -hmm. And I was getting to be a teen and say there was a youth group and stuff like that. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. I wouldn't say um, most of the night was all about learning about God. A lot of it was just fun and games, but um, that's how it was. But, uh, yeah, still very good. I remember John Butson getting a bit frustrated. And I can say this joke now, but he was pulling his hair out because he had less hair than I do now. Mm -hmm. And poor old John. But he'd he'd just try and control these teenagers. And teenagers are full of energy and full of fun. Just want to have fun, but... um, yeah, I'm sure they learnt as as I did some of the uh, faith sort of aspects of um, going to a Christian uh, youth group there, and so that was that was quite beneficial. So really, they're um, entering high school. I will say I've got an older brother, David, and uh, bless him, but he was the ducks of the school in high school. But he was quite bright and older, and he didn't say anything bad to me. But I just had this underlying feeling like I was a bit dumb because he always got the answers first, and I just couldn't strive. So a lot of my school results back from primary school and even in junior high school show that. I was quite an average student or even low in some subjects there, but I just started to um, develop in some of the areas, especially maths, which uh, my brother was good at as well. And um, yeah, a lot of that credit goes to a man, Bob Clunas, and I don't suppose he'd be listening, but he was a maths teacher of mine, and he he just pointed at me one day, literally pointed at me and says, Peter Corrado, I know you can do better than that. And something just twigged inside me, and I started to apply myself and got better, and in the end... Mm-hmm. By year 12, funny that was my best subject and actually got me into uh, banking and so forth, which is part of my career later. Mm. So it was really good there. Yeah. So a pretty, uh, well, you you yeah,
0: a fun childhood there, your sport and all those things, and you began to apply yourself in
2: school. Yeah. So um, I did know, I will say that I knew that I wouldn't make it like to the Olympics or anything because you could be like the big fish in a small pond in a town called Wellington. I, I represented the school in most sports. Mm -hmm. And I actually got into the Central West uh, for Rugby Union a few times and went down to uh, Sydney and played. But athletics, I got in uh, like a cross-country and I came first in the area. And I thought, wow, and I got taken down to Sydney. And we had this cross-country. And there was like a 1,000 young men there we went off. And I just got lost right in the middle. And I wouldn't say I was last, but you soon realise that, hey, there's some very good athletes out there, so... But that didn't stop me. I think for me I've enjoyed sport because it just gives you that rush of sort of competing and if you win you win. If you don't, you don't. But it was just good. So But yeah, just to sum up those years, like Musselbrook, just a good time as a youth. For me a good time of learning and growing, the teen years and uh lots of good friends and yeah, all around. So um but you know, I just thought life was going to continue to go like that. I was in year eleven and then there was quite a major shock to my life, which um I'll just tell you about. But uh, yeah, yes, yeah so. what
1: what happened? sounded yeah. like life is pretty perfect right now.
2: Well, it was, you know, not a not a care in the world. And, um, mm. yeah, in my mind, I just thought that things would continue going that way. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: what happened, I to cut a long story short, but I was woken in the night by mum saying, look, dad's got a stom- stomach ache or bad sort of pain, you know, um, we'll take him up to the hospital. And uh, I don't know why, there was no ambulance or something. But anyway, mum and David, older brother, took him up to the hospital. And um, then I went back to bed. And then sometime later, I got woken by David and saying, Dad's dead, you know, simple as that. I remember the words quite clearly. Mm. And being in the night and a bit groggy, but I just went out the backyard, totally sort of uh, unbelieving and uh, mm. just sort of, yeah, I'd dry reach actually, which is a physical reaction to sort of news you don't want to hear. Mm. But that was the reality. And, and it did take a while for that reality to set in. But the father you'd had who sort of loved you, and, mm. excuse
1: me, had yeah. suddenly just gone. And I know how that feels. Yeah, it was just a shock. So you just wake up. And you're not, you're not, um, you're not thinking because you're all groggy and someone, oh, your dad's passed. And I, and I remember in that moment, I was like, what? (laughs) This can't be real. Like he was okay. And now he's, he's, he's not, and he's not here anymore. And that never leaves you.
2: No. And um, funny that reaction there, because it's been quite a long time ago since uh, dad died. But uh, Mm. I do remember, um, and this sounds weird too, but I've studied a bit about grief uh, in recent years and. The reaction I had, all my schoolmates, not all, but a group of my friends came around and they just wanted to console me or whatever. But I was embarrassed to sort of greet them there. You know, I just, I wasn't embarrassed, but I just didn't want to sort of deal with this. And that's what I was saying. Mm. This isn't real. I just want to get back. And I was actually thinking I've got sport on s- Saturday, you know, and I've got this homework to do and everybody's here and it's just all wrong. So it was just a reaction to sort of disbelief of mm. it. So mm. anyway, but mum obviously was more devastated, not more devastated, but as a spouse, you know, that close relationship, she was devastated. So and, how uh, did
1: life change?
2: Well, what, it did what change. What did look like? I remember those first few weeks, mum just cried nonstop, you know, and it was just really disheartening.
1: Mm.
2: And we kids sort of went back to school bit by bit and just got back into life and the other kids were very good, of course, but, yeah, you just had that sense of this isn't real. But mum, to her credit, it's a great story, um, which uh, she's documented in other ways, but she actually um, moved on from that and she got a job again uh, to support the family, but also... Uh, the local church minister encouraged her to sort of uh, do some Bible studies, which she did, and everyone encouraged her. She did quite well, and that led to actually going to the full-time ministry in the Uniting Church. And uh, from what seemed like a dead end for mum, you know, single mum and just sort of uh, then kids leaving and she's on her own, but she actually made her life and family some churches that she then ministered over the years until she retired. And uh, blessed mum, but she's gone in the last year or two as well, so it's very sad. Mm. But yeah, like I say, it's just something... I think at that age, you're not meant to think about death, really, because you're having so much fun. And if yes. I did, it was sort of other families or some other th- tragedy. We had a few tragedies in town about car accidents and things like that, but mm. Mm. the thought of your father, who did die of a heart attack, um, by the way, um, mm. yeah, you just it didn't even think about that. So, um, yeah, it was quite a shock. Yeah, or very sudden and unexpected. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and
1: grief takes different turns in different ways and in, in different people and yeah. you never move on I suppose because if you would ever you know move on from that it's sort of like the past it never existed yeah. it's about you know um still thinking and honoring but also yeah. working in yourself and exactly I can't imagine what it would be like as a yeah you, you're quite young I was 25 but yeah. um you were, you were much much younger
2: I think uh, um your age is a funny thing but I think myself and my brother and my sister, just, you grow up sort of fast, but you're still a child and you still have the fun of the child. But I mm. remember thinking quite differently about a lot of things that people are very passionate about and getting very angry about. Mm. I just sort of thought, no, that's small stuff. So just just forgive them and move over. So yeah. it just tied in with my Christian faith. But it started to make more sense. Look, if there is a big game, which is life and death, mm. why muck around and get angry and hold grudges about, against people for these small things? And a lot of people do that, and I just sort of feel like I wish I could put my arm around them and just sort of give them a reality check and sort of see if there's something bigger and better you can do mm. with your life than sweat over the small stuff. Small mm. stuff's important too, don't get me wrong. I mean, but, um, yeah.
1: That's said by a person that has really gone through something that's shaken and changed their life. Yeah. yeah.
2: But but in a strange way, in a good way, because, yeah, I think it just made me yeah realise the benefit of a good life. And, you know, I often sort of tell people, think I'm a bit over the top just thanking people for simple things, but I just think... No, the time to say it is now. You know, not not sort of wait for later when they might not be here. So tell them. Yeah. And um, I guess part of the reality is I'd never said to my dad I loved him like those words. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, I was trying to talk to somebody the other day and about our fathers of that era. But like my dad loved me, I knew that, and Mum loved me. But I think Mum probably said I love you, but I can't remember Dad saying those words. And he may have, but I just don't remember it. But the the good part for me is that I knew both my Mum and my Dad just loved me. You had that loving sort of uh, feeling. Yeah. Anyway, but back on Mum. Share that tough time. David left the following year to go down to uni, and David actually had a bit of a debate about it. He'd stay back and stay, but she said, No, you've got to go on with your life. And so she was sacrificing that to the company of family. She let David go, and then me go the following year. And then just Jenny and a few years after that, she was on her own. But by that stage, she'd done the studies and going into ministry. So, well,
1: thank you, Peter, for sharing about the death of your father during that time. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of other people to have heard from you about what it's really like. So thank you for being open enough to share that. Thank you. With everybody. This is Life Bus. We will be back straight after this.
3: Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it
0: at rawcart.com.au. Welcome back to Life Burst. I'm Matt.
1: And I'm Sarah, this next photo that we are going to bring up on the screen is something a little different. You don't look like that anymore. Uh, Matt, for the people that aren't watching this <laughs> interview, do your best audio description of the image that's about to come up on the screen of your dad. Well, I
0: think we should explain too that, uh, that uh, my father and I both have the same hairstyle which uh, is there's not a lot of hair on top but this photo of you going back to are this your teenage years definitely and back in the mullet era and it is definitely a there is a lot of hair there is a lot more hair than i've ever had uh, and <laughs> it's uh yeah
2: just a, a massive mullet now was that uh a
1: massive mullet really <laughs> is that how you're gonna audio describe Look, it say,
2: that's developed from used to be the bowl cut like this, but um, yes. as it went a bit longer, we threw away the bowl and just sort of did our best. But really, that <laughs> yeah. that's an amateur cut, I must say. I love my mum and dad, but I think um, yeah, that was sort of been um, dad sort of cutting it, uh, and it's just not not so good. This is early early school days, so um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good that you have that photo because yeah. uh, yeah, I guess no it wasn't can, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't
0: long before that you could well you can't do that now. Can no, you? can can't do that now. That'd so
1: be, the way that I would describe that picture just because that didn't, it was, yeah, a bowl cut, it was black, it's thick, and so the front is just like you've just stuck a bowl <laughs> on your head and literally just cut around it, so you've yeah. got your bowl fringe yeah. there, and then the rest of it is how you would envision a mullet. Yeah, yeah, um, and, th- and this is teenage years, teenage
2: teen, early yeah, teenage years. As if they weren't traumatic enough. So, <laughs> yeah, right. okay. Anyway, we move on, we move on. <laughs>
0: So you moved on uh, through schooling, so you had that significant um, loss. Um, mm.
1: and, and then you met a certain special lady.
2: No, that was to come. Oh, okay. Well, it's coming, yeah. excited? Just hold back, hold story. back. Okay. What okay. happened next? Okay. I'll hold. Well, I finished year 12, the year after dad died, and did reasonably well. And I was destined to go in like my brother into uni and do studies. But just at the last minute in Wellington, the local bank manager said, look, why not do banking? Um, you know, you can sort of um, earn money straight away, and you can travel around, and that was good enough for me. So I applied for the bank in New South Wales and I got in and I started down and went with Hotel Branch in Sydney, of all places. Mm -hmm. They obviously looking for staff. So I went down there as a fresh young country lad. and um,
1: Into the big smoke. Big
2: smoke, yeah. So it was a real idner. And, um, yeah, I actually ended up boarding with a lady who was a widow, widower, Mm -hmm. widow. Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, she uh, had a big house and just herself in it. So she went to a church at North Ryde. So in there, And I ended up calling her Auntie Nell. It was such a good close relationship that uh, she was just like a mother to me. So Mum was very happy I went down there and was being looked after as well. So it was good. But I mentioned earlier um, that because Mum's family were in South Australia, we went back for Christmas to Adelaide. Now, this being um, like moving down to Sydney, I didn't want to be away from that sort of as well. So the very next Christmas, I went down to Adelaide and drove myself and had the usual holiday. And this is a bit you, you mentioned there. But at Victor Harbour when we went down to the beach, I went down one afternoon and blue waters and lovely sky and uh, there's a lovely young woman in a blue bikini there and I'm normally a bit shy with women but I just felt I'd go out into the surf there and just talk to her and I did. And that ended up being, uh, well, it was Jill, Jill Richardson back then. Um, But we went from strength to strength from that little opening there to um, sort of uh, exchanging um, addresses and she actually lived not far from my uncle in Marion. And so we arranged to go to the movies before I went back to um, work in the February,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: yeah, like I said, I was a bit awkward, but I found um, not so much on the phone calls, which cost a lot, so but I'd write letters, and I was. So this
1: all... wasn't just a, like a summer fling. It didn't, no, did. No, no, it
2: was. I knew there was something about Jill that sort of stood out, and I think just, we've got uh,
0: a photo of you two smiling. Okay, as well When yeah. you first
2: met. Yeah, but it wasn't just her. Um, at the beach. At the beach, her her good looks, of course, which is a, a given. But there's just something about it that sort of shone out of her, which was mm-hmm. just wonderful. So I wanted to sort of pursue this. And you looked like you got rid of the mullet by then too. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just was, as well. Was half there, but uh, it was good. So what happened from there is I was bugging my accountant who sort of looked after staff leave, that every three months I was taking a week's leave and sort of flying by Ansett, which was an airline yeah. For, yeah. for younger viewers, over to Adelaide. <laughs> and uh, and Jill would do the same every sort of couple of months. And so exchanged sort of back and forth and got to know each other a bit better over mm-hmm. those years. Mm-hmm. So roughly a year and a half later, I said, look, I've got to give this a go or not. And I uh, made the decision I'd move to um, Adelaide. And despite my accountant saying that's a bad career move, you know, moving to Adelaide, there's more prospects in Sydney, I just thought, no, I've got to give this a go, and I did. So with my little gallant, four-cylinder gallant, and all my worldly possessions on the back seat, I just drove across the hay around a plane on my own as a young man seeking love. In and love. In <laughs> love, That's yes, right. And so a little bit later... Um, Things did work out and we got engaged and then we were married in
1: 1981. Okay, how did you
2: propose to her? I was actually in the car at the front of mum and dad's house, but um, we'd been out to the movies or something like that. And so I couldn't get down on my knees in the car. But, um, yeah, I just sort of asked the question and she said yes and probably thought, why did it take so long? But anyway.
1: (laughs) How long was it? I don't
2: know. It just didn't seem long to me. I just, But, um, yeah, (laughs) I've been there sort of a year maybe.
1: And were you like parents looking out the window wondering what was going on in the car? Or? Actually, there's
2: a story about that. Jill, Jill's dad, Don, who have been interviewed here, but he would either shake milk bottles or something like that and just he'd yell out, sleeps the answer when we we're in the lounge room just sort of talking and, uh, you know, time to go on, so we would have to have to go. So, uh, yeah, thought, time to get married, you know, rather than sort of interrupting uh, Jill and Don's sort of uh, family life at their home. So, was. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, we were married in October 81, and that was a great event. I remember it quite well. A bit like now, but I was quite nervous. And the minister actually said, stop, you can smile, you two. And so we did and uh, went from there. So, Do you um,
1: remember how you felt when she was walking down the aisle coming towards you?
2: Actually, more nervous than anything, but just, just there was a beam in my eye, and said, you know, it was just, um, even though I was nervous, I was just totally sort of, as my grandmother said, smitten. I had to look that up in the dictionary. <laughs> I think it means getting hit over in one sense, but on the other hand, sort of totally blown away by this woman, so totally devoted. So that was it.
1: She's the most beautiful woman you'd ever seen in that moment. Yeah,
2: and she still is. So Good answer. And I've been to disrespect- <laughs> I've been to disrespect- <laughs> so so uh, I, I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but we, we actually were fortunate. Uh, we managed to build our house uh, before we moved in, and it was a brand-new house down at Seaford, way down south, and that was sort of the outer suburbs back then, but now it's sort of not so much. But, uh, yeah, lovely little brick house. And surprisingly enough, four months later, we had our first anniversary, and in our arm was a young Matthew Carat, born August 82. So um, this is Matthew here. And he probably really? had as much hair back then, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No mullet. No, no mullet. Hair. So, yeah. And- Did
1: mullet ever happened to him? Like,
2: uh, no, I can't remember that. Different era. Different era, that's right. So.
1: <laughs> any crazy hair thing? You know, we're talking about the hair. We're talking about him, you know, nah. and, and any crazy hair things he ever did? No. Nah, no, nah. okay.
2: No, he was a good boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah your dad said, theme, said that yeah. too. Yeah. But. Co- common story. So, yeah. <laughs> so, we moved around, um, and I think it's one of the, um, Matthew might disagree, but I thought it was just a great thing in our marriage, but in the bank, you could sort of stay in one place and you had to wait for promotions locally or you could put your hand up and say i'll go country and there weren't as many people prepared to do that so uh, i said i'd go country if i wanted to and so our first move was to renmark in the riverland Mm -hmm. and um we went up there with matthew's one child and by the time we came back a couple of years later we had three children so there is definitely something in the water in renmark Mm. um beware if you're going there but uh no that that was good and Really tough looking back on Jill um, because her mum and dad weren't there. They were in Victor still. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, just sort of raising three kids. And Matthew was a terrible young lad. <laughs> no, I say that jokingly. He was a good kid. But,
1: but that's kid. the only snippet that you get of the whole
2: interview? Yeah. No. An- angelic the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, kids, as you, if you've had your own, you'll just know that, that age, they're just really hard. And I I was at the bank a lot of the day. And, uh, you know, by the time I got home, Jill was exhausted. But... Uh, Anyway, we made it through that and then we came back and we were back in Adelaide for a few years and then we had a call to uh, I had a call to go to Port Lincoln, which was a wonderful spot and beautiful countryside. And I sort of grew in my banking career there as manager there and had live lobster exporters, which I knew nothing about, and wheat farmers, of course, and real estate agents. So it was quite a variety of people and fishermen. So, yeah, I, I had to learn fast as a banker how to sort of relate to these customers, but but you did. So... Um, I think at the start of my life, I had no real plan for a career. It just sort of happened bit by bit and I adopted and sort of grew. I think at the start, if I'd said I'd done some of these things in my career, I would have said I couldn't do that. But mm-hmm. you just do, you, you take it on and you have the guts to do it and uh, you can sort of keep keep moving.
1: What was a really hard experience that you had in Port Lincoln?
2: Well, it wasn't just me, but the whole bank, and we're getting political here, but um, things were tough and the interest rates were rising, mm-hmm. sort of 18% for business and it was a really tough time. And, a lot of people didn't like bankers. They, they used to like ba- you banker. It was almost a curse. Um, but I maintained, I believe, sort of a good integrity as a, a person and mm-hmm. meeting with people who were struggling and sort of a bit of empathy.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
2: think that worked for me. But by and large, it just, there was that sort of rift between bankers and sort of farmers, for example, who were doing it tough. But So that was tough. And, yeah, there were some auctions there which were sort of really tough when people were losing their livelihood and their land that they had in the family. So, yeah, tough times.
0: Well, when we come back, we'll hear more of uh, Peter, my dad's story here on Lifeburst with Sarah and Matt.
3: In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a raw cut community service announcement.
0: This is Life burst I'm Matt.
1: And I am Sarah. Today we're chatting with Matt's dad, Peter. Once again, definitely an episode to go check out online on YouTube, Facebook as well. Peter, you've traveled to lots of different places as well because you weren't really in one place at one time. And I also yeah. know that because Matt... Shared in his story yeah. that he moved around to a lot of different places. Mm. Uh, could you quickly just go over some of those places that you went to, like just naming them and sure. yeah, picking up where you went well, to? As
2: I said, went from Adelaide to Renmark, back yeah. to Adelaide, then over to Port Lincoln, yeah, which yeah. is what I was mentioning there. Then I went to be a manager on my own at Malala, which was a small town north of Adelaide.
1: Right, bank manager. Bank manager there. <laughs> wow. And
2: uh, I was there a couple of years. And then quickly went up to Gove Northern Territory, um, which is Nulamboy in another term, mm-hmm. on northeast Unlen and uh, on the Cape, looking over to Queensland. So I was a bank manager there in a fairly large town, but uh, the only banking town. So it was quite stressful, but I was learning a lot on the way there. So, um, yeah, um, if anyone's ever gets a chance to go there, it's really good. Because I have Matt agrees with me, but a bit of trauma for the kids as they sort of had to leave schools and leave classmates to go to another place. But mm. I think it builds a bit of resilience. Would you agree, Matt? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But there are stresses in there and you're away from family and you just have to wait for holidays to see them. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it special when you do return to Adelaide and sort of see the family. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there are things in um, in all my sort of jobs that sort of uh, sort of stretch me. But looking back in Gove there, there was an Aboriginal organisation called YBE and they were actually, uh, came to me for a big loan to do some um, leasing for, for vehicles so they could actually employ their in- Aboriginal uh, members to do work for the mine and it was all agreed by the mine and they would pay the money through YBU and then to the people there. So I was there doing the biggest loan of my life mm-hmm. with a group, YBU, but their board of directors were 12 local elders from different uh, clans in the area. And I remember sitting down with my suit, wasn't a suit, just good trousers though on the red dirt up there and getting all dirty. But just uh, the director there sort of talking in uh you're the local language to them and not hear sort of Westpac and then not here AGC and then not here Peter and then million or something like that. So I knew he was on the right track. And then my bosses are saying, when's this deal coming through? But it took a number of meetings, as you can imagine. It just took months. And finally we got the deal and it was a big celebration when they got these trucks and they actually could be employed and do the work there, which is a good initiative, I thought. Mm-hmm. So something quite unique. And I look back at it with a bit of pride. So then it was time to come back to we'll go to Darwin and we went there with the kids again. Mm-hmm. but um, i just cut that short. It was good there too, but at age 40, I just felt I was getting a bit tired of the bank and nothing wrong with banking, but they just really demand a lot of marketing and you had to sort of on-sell things. So just time for a career change and I went financial counselling with Somerville, a local organisation there, not for profit. Okay. And I did financial counselling, which I just really loved. It was just something that hit my passion. You're almost on the other side of the desk with someone helping them against the banks and to negotiate their way out of trouble. So I really enjoyed that. That was good. So, right.
1: Yeah. How do you do that? What What does financial counselling look like?
2: Well, you have a do box you... of tissues for a start. Mm-hmm. A number yeah. of people come in sort of totally emotional and you just say, look, I can help you and I can negotiate with the banks on your behalf, see if they can stretch out the payments or something like that. But there's usually a way to sort of get out of it until people recover financially and sort of get back on top of things. So, yeah, I just love that sort of job. So mm. What
1: were the types of things that people were coming in with?
2: In in recent times, um, I just say, look, there's... Uh, The the easy pay, you know, you can sort of set up waiting. You can just sort of pay for it now and sort of pay it over three installments. It sounds good and it's easy, but people go out and get about 15 of these loans and then they've got no money to pay for their food. So we just had to negotiate that out. of. But, I mean, people just do funny things when they're under pressure or or they're marketed to, so um, you just have to help them out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, from Darwin then, we just felt after the family had moved back, our three grown kids moved back to Adelaide, that... um, yeah, it's time that we went back to Adelaide as well to see family. So we, we did, we went back there. And then I got a job with um, local state government organisation, HomeStart. Mm-hmm. And again, a unique thing, with my experience of Indigenous folk, I did what they call the Nunga loan, which is giving home loans to South Australian Aboriginal folk. Mm-hmm. And that had never been done before in South Australia. And to HomeStart's credit, but there was over 400 Indigenous families got into their own house in South Australia. And I hope sort of set a precedent for others who sort of, that they'd never get a home loan if they're Aboriginal, but now they can, you know, and they, they do. So yeah. another good initiative. Yeah. Nothing to do with me. I, I just was a mechanic of all that and just did the nuts and bolts, but um, good to be a part of it. So. Yeah, um,
1: that's that's right. Now, yeah. I would like to know uh, what was it like with all of your kids moving out? How did you and Jill transition through that time?
2: We thought it was fantastic.
1: <laughs> Not what I was expecting. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, no, look, um, look, I... Honestly Jill Jill sort of grieves not being near family and, and I do too, but Jill grieves faster than me and I just I probably did enjoy the space there for a little bit, you know, you just you can do your own things a lot easier. So there's that benefit. But in reality both are the same. We're both family orientated and uh and miss the family when we're not near them, so to come back was just a great thing. So um yeah, after so long away. And also my wife, Jill's family, Sheryl and Don, they'd been missing us and the family for a while. So it was good to come back and be closer. Which we all are now, and it's just a good time now. We're all back in Adelaide. I'm very close, so it's, it's just a nice time. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's
1: right. And who got married first?
2: Oh well, Matt was first, and Matt was um,
1: first. And what was that like seeing your son up there out to marry?
2: Actually, it was more emotional than I thought. You know, like okay. you often say, the women are emotional, but I'm I'm just a sop these days. Like, and uh, <laughs> okay. you know, and I just sort of see the. But I'll cry at weddings, funerals, doesn't matter, you know. But um, it's just an emotional time. You sort of realise how important mm-hmm. life is and so forth. And like I was saying with my dad early on, sort of dying, you have that emotional sense and some things just sort of you react to, you're not, you surprise yourself, you know, mm-hmm. watching a funny movie, but any father and son reconciliations in a movie, I just really get um, quite choked up about. It. So it's, it's sort of a, a good and a bad thing. You don't want to be sort of crying and stuff, but, but mm-hmm. it's good. So um, I just want to say that the kids were great, but during this whole time, by the time we came back, our kids had started to have their own kids. So in the last well, 13 years, really, They've started families and their own, but we've ended up with 11 beautiful grandkids. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure Jill are joining in saying they're a joy of our life, a joy of your life, Matt.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> we've Some worked out, though, that when we have family gatherings, it's better if you have a picnic outside than in someone's house because uh, okay. it's sort of a bit of cleaning to do afterwards. There's a lot of you, is A lot of a- there. A lot of, lot of Jews yes. yeah. Uh,
1: and what was uh, – how has life changed since having all these grandkids now?
2: Yeah, I think um, so. I, I can only say I maybe I was sort of really busy with their own kids, but I, I tried to spend as much time as I could with their own kids. But uh, and I probably noticed the changes in their growth and development when they're talking and walking and so forth. But you really notice it with the grandkids because you might see them, you know, every week or two. And, and when they change, you see even in a few weeks how they've changed and developed from just young babies to sort of toddlers to, to crawling and then moving on. So yeah, I just enjoy it more now, you know. So although Jill, I think. Um, Probably enjoys having them for the full day better than me, but you know, just be, be, being being <laughs> honest. But but no, I do love the grandkids. You can hand them back. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old saying, isn't it? But it's true. But uh, yeah, you're not built for it when you're sort of sixty to have them full days and playing make-believes with dolls and stuff like that all day. I'm not anyway. <laughs> like, you,
1: you do what you do, Peter. That's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you moved back to Adelaide. You got some more more
2: work. Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, that was the homestart one there, and yeah, uh, yeah. So that that was quite good. And uh, like I said, um, some of those jobs sort of stretched me. But uh, what uh, I found happened uh, when I turned uh, fifty, I think it was. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps a few cracks started to appear. Like uh, at work, you know, I just sort of felt a bit anxious and stressed. Mm-hmm. And um, the homestart job came to an end which was unfortunate, but, uh, yeah, I thought I'd be okay because I, I've um, got other things to do. But when I came home and had a lot of time to sort of be at home on my own, I just found it, it was hard. And I, my thoughts were getting a bit negative and, um, yeah, I was anxious about minor things and, uh, yeah, it's really hard to admit that, but that's, that's how I was after being so sort of resilient all those years and big pressure in banking and so forth. that just sitting around and trying to study was just not enough for me. It just really hard. So, um, you know, I, I confess, and anyone listening, if you're feeling like that, don't muck around. I just went to the GP and he gave me a bit of medication which helped me immediately. But, um, yeah, it was just a bad time in my life. To sort of, You knew in reality that you had a good life and everything was good, but a little voice in you just saying, no, nah, you've, you've had a wasted life and you, your life's over or things like this. So it was just time to sort of um, bite the bullet and get some help. And uh, thankfully I've got through that stage and I'm feeling quite good now about life and so forth. But, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system.
1: Yeah. Well, look. Thank you for sharing that as well yeah. uh, about what's, what happened in your head and I'm sure it will help mm. other people as well for sharing that. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We'll be back straight after this.
3: If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media.
1: Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Matt's dad, Peter, and you've just been like work, 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 moving, different things. Did you do any travel like overseas or around Australia or, yeah?
2: Glad you asked that. Um, during that time, uh, and even though I was so busy, but we mm-hmm. went to um, Seeds United Church, or right before United Church, now Seeds. But uh, yeah. they actually had every year a, a trip, which they go to Thailand as a mission trip. And it was a short mm-hmm. term, like just a couple of weeks. And you teach English to some Thai Thai kids mm-hmm. and it was north north, uh, north of um, Thailand like Chiang Mai that area there Okay. and so we went for about four or five Jill and I four or five trips over there and it was just a fantastic time I'd recommend Thailand to anyone to go there but not the touristy part we actually felt it was a disappointment after going up there to the little villages and mm-hmm. seeing the kids in their um, sort of basic sort of huts there mm-hmm. with full excitement to come out and learn English like can you imagine that our kids sort of in school holidays saying let's come and learn Chinese or something like that. They'd say, forget it. But mm-hmm. these kids just came up with great excitement. Yeah. And that was a real blessing to us over that time. So it was really, really good. Can
0: you give us a uh, a Thai greeting?
2: Uh, do you think you can imagine? <laughs> Saudi Cup. Yeah. Saudi Cup. Oh, that's, uh, we'll, we'll pay that. Yeah. <laughs> I think Saudi Cup is a female one. I don't know. It's a bit unique. Saudi Cup. There you go. Yeah, on the spot. You've done well. <laughs> just, yes, <Yeah>. you
1: have. <laughs> they
2: shortened it to cup, cup, just cup, cup. Anyway. Okay. Very okay. I'm glad yeah. I remembered.
1: No, okay. Uh so you you did that travel, but I mean, you were up to when you were, were 50 and you were dealing with these th- things in your head that yeah. were telling you negative thoughts.
2: Yeah, so I knew that I needed to work, but there was no work available in, um, in Adelaide. So mm-hmm. um, I thought I'd go back to um, do financial counselling, which I'd done in Darwin, mm-hmm. but they said you need to study for it, you need to have a diploma. So I started doing that and I had this difficulty... But during that, Jill saw a, um, a job advert for Somerville Community Services who I worked for previously in Darwin, mm-hmm. but this was in the Catherine office. And so I applied for that and got it, and so we then launched up there with some some fear because I just thought I had this anxiety and I hope i would be all right up there. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I got the job and started up there, and it was a marvellous job. And that was in about uh, November 2018, we are up there, mm-hmm. so I was 58. And I was there a year, and the job was going really, really well. And you talk about life surprises, but... Um, I was sitting down on a Sunday morning and I'd volunteered to preach a sermon at the Baptist church in Catherine that morning. So I was sitting there preparing and I suddenly had a bit of tightness in the chest and then I thought, that's not good. But um just thought it was muscular and started to stretch. But then I said to Jill after 10 minutes, this could be serious. It could be a heart attack. nothing that My dad had had the heart attack. And uh, so uh, she called the ambulance and sure enough, I was having a heart attack, which was a surprise to me and everyone. And so I was rushed to the hospital there and then airlifted by Chopper First chopper ride I've had, but all I could see was the roof and people's knees right over, <laughs> so it wasn't that exciting. Up to Darwin and then the following day I had a stent put in and I felt fantastic and, in fact, a bit relieved because all my life I've been thinking, what if I have a heart attack like Dad and die? And mm-hmm. here I was, I'd had the heart attack and I lived. So yeah. I really was thinking, thank you, God, this is great and I'll be back at work the next week and I felt that good. But those are known story. That same night after I had the stent, I was allowed to go home. Mm-hmm. But I woke up at about 1am disorientated and I was going around and Jill woke up and said, what's wrong? And she recognised straight away that I had the facial palsy and weakness on the left side and so I was having a stroke. So for the second time in a week, I was in the back of an ambulance and funnily enough, I was cracking jokes the whole time. Like, it's amazing what you do under pressure, but terrible dad jokes and I wouldn't (laughs) repeat them. But um, yeah, it's just a way of relieving stress, I suppose, but but went through that. Um, So I was coping quite well, but... That first night in hospital and it was dark and there's all sorts of noises in hospitals, but I had that real depth of sort of gloom about things as reality hit. This is serious. It's not just a heart attack that you've covered over, but now you've got this brain injury and I couldn't, I couldn't sort of eat properly. I was, I couldn't talk at the time and um, things like that and yeah, I couldn't use my left arm and I couldn't walk, so no work and I thought I'm, I'm going to be unemployed and sort of no use to anyone and a burden to people. So. That sort of really hit heavy in a very, very dark area at that night. But people were praying for me, and they'll say that sincerely, and they were, family and friends and others in the church there. And it was only 24 hours, but I started to turn, and I just sort of felt, well, look, I can do this one step at a time. And that's really the attitude you have to have, to turn it around just one step at a time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And within a short time, I could sort of eat sort of proper meals again. I could um, start to walk, and I walked after about three months. And then I'm running, and then... I had to learn to drive again. So I did that through having driving lessons again. And then I got back to work. So there are a number of tick boxes there. And funny enough, tomorrow, even though Joel doesn't like, I'm running in the city to Bay, which is something I used to do, 12K run. So I had to do that, not in the same time as I used to do, but just as a sort of a tick box there. So just a bit of an attitude I had to have and say, look, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your life has changed, but um, you can still sort of carry on with this and still be a useful member of society and still love your family.
0: Now, you breeze over those things like you, you, you did them really in quick succession, but there was, there was a lot of
2: uh, willpower and, and a lot that went into step-by-step mm. step that recovery. Yeah, I actually had a lot of energy for the recovery. In fact, I got into trouble and Jill tells me that because Jill's a nurse and she backs the nurse's side, but <laughs> I was getting told all the time to slow down because I, I felt like I was going to the gym, you know, and if they said do 10 of these things, I'd do 20 and they said, no, slow down. And they showed me how to get out of my wheelchair and into bed so then I took that to mean, well, I can walk around my bed and, you know, holding on with my good arm, so I'll be all right. But when they'd find me, they I felt like a bad school kid. So I was a... But I'm a good boy, I, I keep telling them. <laughs> but, yeah, you um,
1: keep telling us that. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I do.
2: But I just wanted to succeed and, and get out of this sort of hole and keep moving on. And um, So I, I do concede that I was a bit um, impulsive, was the word they kept using, which sort of graded me. But that's what I was. I just wanted to get out of that place and sort of get back to life and uh, back to normality. But really... Is different now than it was pre-stroke. I think just, um yeah, the emotional side's sort of quite high. It used mm-hmm. to be. And I do get a little bit fuddled at times. But otherwise, um, a lot of people have said to me, I didn't even know you had a stroke. So that's, in a way, a compliment saying you're doing quite well. Because I'm back doing a bit of tax consultant work now. And, um, yeah, people don't sort of notice or say anything. Or if they do, they don't say anything. But anyway, my life's as normal as it used to be, or as normal as I can be. <laughs> yes, yeah. Whatever that means. Thank
1: you for sharing your life story yeah. with us uh 50 minutes is not a lot of time to cover everything but peter we know you've got some advice for us so in the last one minute of our show today yeah. if you had one piece of advice to share with those listening and watching what would that be
2: i just pick on there's truths and if you look at my situation and other people this but the truth that i had a stroke and you can't do what you used to do and you you know you're bald or you're um you're not good looking or you can't do this you can't do that they're the truths You can't deny those things. But there's other truths like, to me, I've got a God who loves me. I've got a family who loves me. I've got lots going for me. I can still walk and run. So what do you concentrate on? If you choose to sort of feel pity and sort of concentrate on those negative things, your life will spiral downhill and you'll always feel like you're the victim. Mm. But I just chose to look at the positive things. And I am. I'm loved. I love people. I've still got some abilities. I can still think. And I just choose to concentrate on that. And I thank God for everything. So... And I thank you for asking me to come on this. So it's been good to refresh my sort of childhood with myself. You know, it's sort of, unless you have a family get together, you don't sort of go back and look at those old sort of photos. And so it's been good. So I really appreciate it. And you guys do a great job. Oh, mm.
0: well, thank you. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Well, I've learned some things along the way as well. You don't know all of those stories. <laughs> well, that's but, um, yeah, certainly um, some, some challenges there that you've, you've faced. So thanks for being honest and sharing with everyone. Uh, we know our listeners uh, uh, from all walks of life, and we hope that's been encouraging to you.
1: This has been Life Bus. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from on community television, radio and facebook and youtube and this is a special episode because it's actually our 50th episode Ooh. of life burst whoop, whoop, yeah in this format mm. so seven years about 50 episodes in this format here so thanks for coming on the journey with us
0: we love to hear local stories of everyday people uh it may be you next uh, stay tuned and find out next week
3: life bursts is hosted by matthew karat and sarah freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and K. Hoshra Ozartigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a rawcut production.